Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. I am absolutely honoured by your presence. Uh, I'm sure you have a busy day and busy busy schedule, but you take time out to listen to me. So thank you very much to one and all for coming back here a day after day. This is my second podcast of today. I made a small podcast earlier on on um, the Karnataka and um, Freedom of Religion Bill. Okay, and I talked about my journey and why I have come to support this bill. Um, the the falsehood of the church, uh, the activities of of mental harassment, torture uh, uh, conducted by the church in the name of religion, in the name of God, and how they silence us to to be their slaves and relics of their empires. Um, another group who does this is Islam, obviously. Too colonial empires that absolutely desecrated the Indian subcontinent, um, contrary to what they say. Uh, they, co- they took over uh, architectural marvels or jewels, and, and then after they tried to, uh, and now they've planted, associated their names with it, but it doesn't belong to them. And uh, on, the, on the other side, they left us with uh, caste and dalit and, and, and untouchability, and they think that we're going to take it over and give... You know, be a walkover so that they can come in and and proselytize while we remain relics of their empires and resurrect them to to um, uh, to power once again. It's not going to happen. So today we're going to we yesterday early on we talked about the Christians uh, and today now right now we're going to talk about the Muslim vote. So um, most of Muslims most Muslims are. Um, I wouldn't say colonized, but are controlled by some by the individual groups, um, and the Indian state has a, a has a, a law, not a law, but Indian state doesn't interfere in individual communities. So every community is by its own and has its own leadership or community leadership, and they basically control uh, the people on the ground. Uh, and unfortunately, there's a lot of of um, um, unconstitutional activities that go on, trauma, uh, mafia, um, a lot of corruption, um, suffocation, repression that goes on. Muslims are controlled by a board called the All India Muslim Personal Law Board. Um, So we're just going to see who these people are. Um, The All India Muslim Personal Law Board is a non-governmental organization started in 1972. Uh, and constituted uh, in 1973 by the Prime Minister India uh, Indira Gandhi, uh, they basically basically look at Indian Muslim personal law or the Sharia as it's called on the Indian subcontinent, providing applications for the Islamic law code of Sharia uh, to Muslims in India and its personal affairs. Okay, um, they act in all matters of personal law except such uh, except successions um, now they are a man-made institution a political institution and all they care about is power they're made to re- contain power in their hands and basically uh, 
they use God to legitimize their, their journey, but it's not about uh, God. Uh, they're more interested in Muslims following personal law, which is a man-made concept. Uh, there's no law in, in, the, uh, in the Quran. The Quran has uh, suggest is sort of a constitution, but it doesn't impose anything on you. Uh, but only man makes laws. God doesn't make laws. So man makes laws. He he attaches it to God and then legitimizes his law and says, you know, God said gave us the power to have this law. But in reality, they only want power. So their goal is to make sure that Muslims follow the law, and by that 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 law, they have ultimate power and they have ultimate money. So basically. What I'm going to do today is, um, I'm not a Muslim, I know what this board is and I know what they do, but I'm going to say it in a very easy way. I'm going to read an article for you, a very, very interesting article that I, I think that everyone should read. It's in the print. Um, you can get it online. I've posted it on my Facebook page. Um, and it's written by a very uh, intellectual amazing Muslim um, gentleman. He is uh, of Muslim faith and uh, his name is Dr. Fayaz Ahmad Faisi. Uh, you will see him on on, um, on YouTube very often. He's absolutely amazing. Uh, I've learned so much from him. From, more importantly, I have gotten a lot of power from his, uh, from his journey and from his uh, um, from his, um, his his ability to speak uh, so perfectly on different aspects of of uh, the Islam Indian Islamic uh, journey. Uh, so I'm just going to read the article for you, and it says it all, and it will give you all the information about the Islam All India Muslim Law Board that um, sort of controls as a uh, power mongering group uh, the Muslims in India. Not all of them, though. Uh, so the All India Muslim personal league is no defender of Muslim personal law. It does not represent um, all Muslims. So the article goes on to say, the All India Muslim Law Personal Law Board General Secretary recently said that the Muslims of India are going through a period more difficult than 1957 and 1947 in terms of religious traditions. With that statement, the All India Muslim Personal Law Board is once again in the dock. Not long ago, the organization struck controversy when it discouraged intermarriage faith and called it un-Islamic. The All India Muslim Personal Law Board has issued several such controversial statements in the past. An important question arises when India is governed by a constitution. How valid is it to make such unconstitutional appeals not to marry outside your religion and there is a constitutional or moral uh, basis for issuing such directions to any religion before answering this question it would be appropriate to have a look at the purpose and context in which the board was established mentioned in urdu on the all india muslim personal law board website when the government tried to scrap the Sharia law, Hazrat Maulana Minatullah Rahmini Sahib organized a conference in Patna, uh, that's the state of Bihar, in Bihar in 1963 called Tahafuf, Tahafuz, aimed at preservation of Muslim personal law. Uh, the board actions directly questioned the constitution uh, and the rights of a democratically 
elected government and parliament. Such actions uh, also impinge on the rights of Muslims who are equal under the Indian law, but remain sacred and confused under uh, because of the uh, Muslim personal law board's diktats. The purpose of the organization, as stated in Urdu on the website, great and broad objective is to eradicate all non-Islamic rituals and customs in the Muslim community. That the Muslims who are absolutely the descendants of that means Muslims who are descendants of colonial empires are obligated to follow only what the Muslim law board says and not any un-Islamic law, which is sometimes regional and and has to do with their local communities. Uh, so they're obligated to be slaves of Arab empires for the rest of their lives. Basically, that's what it says. Uh, here, it's important to note, the, the article continues, that the language, custom, culture of Pasmanda Muslims are indigenous to India, which the Ashraf Muslim Ulma labels as Hindustan Rasam. Um, or Hindustani, Hinduna Rasam or Hindus, Hinduna customs, and non-Islamic. The Ashrafs have been trying to impose their Arabian-Iranian culture in the name of Islam on Indic Pasmanda Muslims. Whereas the doctrine described in Islam, Urf, gives permission to follow the rituals and customs of any particular region in con- on, with the condition that they do not violate violate the basic principles of Islam. So the goal of the All India Muslim Law Board, which says that they represent all Muslims, is to make sure that basically Indian Muslims remain slaves. Sorry, got something in my throat. Um, remain slaves and and on a plantation of fear and, and slavery, ideological of, of actual slavery, to Arab empires, uh, Arab customs, and that they do not, and they lose their connection to their Indian homeland, because these Muslims are Hindus, actually, and they are previously converted by their colonial empires. So they remain in isolation, intellectual, ideological, um, and physical isolation uh, from the Kufar, which is their family, their friends, their their neighbors, um, and remain on a on a Arabian mental plantation. Uh, so going back to the article, the All India Muslim Personal Law claims that it is the representative assembly of all Muslims, foreign, that's the Ashraf, and the indigenous, which is the Pasmanda, settled in India, and works to look after their personal and social values as prescribed by the Sharia. Apart from this, the board not only gives its opinion on external and in and internal affairs of the country on behalf of Muslims, but it also implements them through nationwide agitations, seminars, and meetings. And the Indian public, media, intellectuals, and governments have have also accepted its claim. If we look at the organization structure, the All India Muslim Personal Law has accepted the distinction between Maslaks, that means different groups, different ideologies under the same sect, firkas, different sects, and based on their population, given representation to ulmas, scholars of different maslaks and firkas on the board. 
However, the chairman of the board always has to be a Diobandi, Nadvi school of the Sunni sect. It is well known in India that Sunnis form the largest part of Islam and the Diobandi Nadvi community is the most influential. Though they don't outnumber the Barelvi Sunnis. The vice chairman of the board is always uh, from the Shia sect, although Shias are fewer in number and the smallest firqa of the Sunni sect. But ideologically, Shias are considered to be equal to the Sunnis. The question that arises is, are Indian Muslims divided into only Maslaks, Maslaks and Firkas? No, they're also divided by caste and race. So we have the Sayyids, the Sheikhs, the Patans, the Mughals, the Kujad, uh, Kujda, the, the fruit sellers, the Bankar, the Vivas, the Baklo, Pavaria, Mirasi, Nut, and so on and so forth. But the All India Muslim Personal Law Board does not recognize these stratifications and does not give representation to any indigenous Pasmanda, that means backward, Dalit or tribal Muslim caste in the organization on the basis of their population. It is not for it's not that the board is not aware of the caste stratification of Indian Muslims. Uh, it is uh, very, very aware of uh, of the racial, ethnic, high-low, indigenous, foreigner dis differentiation and calls the marriage between uh, either of these groups within the Islamic society as un-Islamic. So the All Indian Muslim Law Board also ignores the representation of women. It does not consider the appointment of women to be lawful under Sharia, whereas if we look at Islamic history, it is well known that the wife of the Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, named Khadija, has, was an established businesswoman and the Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, himself worked for Khadija's business house in his early days. His other wife named Aisha was appointed as commander-in-chief in a battle where many other reputed and experienced Quraysh, that means Sayyid and Sheikh, men were present. Aisha was, intellectual, was an intellectual scholar and considered to be an authority in Islamic affairs. It is also known that the Caliph Umar had appointed female Sahabi, companions of Muhammad, uh, Shifa bint Abdullah al-Adawiyah, as personal commerce administrative officer of the Medina market. Uh, and she was the first teacher and physician in Islamic history. Although the All India Muslim Personal Law Board has now included women not in important positions. These women belong to upper-class ashrafs. Among non-alim, non-Islamic scholars, two business persons, educationists, lawyers, and politicians, the ashraf class dominates. Uh, ashraf is a group, uh, is a caste of Muslims that are descended from foreign invaders. So the Pasmanda are basically locals who were Hindus who were converted, um, and the Ashraf are descendants of Arabs, Iranians, Mughals. Um, this, there is a complete lack of democracy and election on the board. Office bearers are appointed on the basis of heredity, heredity and race. The term of the office bearer is also usually lifelong. Uh, 
The son is usually appointed after the death of the father, and in the absence of the son, preference is given to close relatives of Muslims of Arab Iranian race. This is strongly against Quranic teachings. Quran encourage Mus- the Quran encourages Muslims to decide their affairs in consultation um, with each other in the form of a council or a referendum. Even important issues are acted upon immediately by the chairman or secretary of the board without calling a meeting or discussing. It is obvious the claim of the board to represent all Muslims does not have a constitutional, moral or Islamic basis. All India Muslim personal law board goal is to maintain the sovereignty and interests of Arab in Iranian culture, uh, ruler class, the Ashraf Muslims, under the guise of Islam and the Muslim personal law board. So this is a group Again, I'm, I'm, I'm discussing it. This is a group who has uh, given themselves power and the legal power now to dictate the lives of Muslims, although not all Muslims. They are not democratic. They are not, uh, they're not uh, constitutional. Uh, I mean, they're legal, but they're, they're definitely against, uh, they're, they're, they're not, they're definitely against um, the constitution because they do not have constitutional, moral, or, or any grounds for this for this board. When we already have a law board, we already have law in this country. So why am I talking about this? Because this is the other side of the coin of Islam, of colonial invaders who considered minority. So they have their own law board. These minorities have are very rich. Have big amounts of money, have a lot of power. All of the money comes from its congregations on the ground. And so how are they minorities? How are they weak? How are they being persecuted? So this narrative of persecution is only based on on, on the academia and the media who are also a front for the government, for the colonial empire. So you have the media that's creating a narrative that is based on and falsehood, that is a front for the colonial empires. You have the academia who is a front for these colonial empires. Um, you have the same relics of these colonial empires who have a lot of money, who've created unconstitutional law boards, uh, which they don't need because if it's about God, then God doesn't need a law board. God doesn't need ulamas. God is so powerful. He doesn't need a bunch of uh, relics, of colonial vultures to decide to have personal law boards or does God ex- not exist in the first place? Um, and so these are man-made institutions who, who decide upon themselves, take it upon themselves to speak for the common man, but they do not speak for anyone. All they're there about is money, and then they'll tell you to vote for the Indian National Congress. Standard tactic, vote for the Indian National Congress. So why is the divide and rule? Since when does God tell you to talk, to vote for someone? They have no business asking you to vote for someone. And why are they so interested in law? I mean... We have a constitutional law. Both these groups are similar, absolutely similar. Very, very, very common. They, they, sort of two sides of the coin. There are some differences, but not, not a lot. In the church, also, they all men. They know women. Uh, the board always has men. I mean, it's all about man, the men, and and they de- decide. They're not democratic. We don't know how much money they have. Um, they keep their money and and control it and expect us to continue giving them money 
and now that they were not giving them money, all of a sudden they are in danger. Well, yeah, of course, you need money. You don't need God. If God was there, would you need money? No. Uh, but they still call themselves minorities wh where they're really stinking rich. Uh, and they control your life from birth to death. You are still their slave mentally, emotionally, and they will ostracize you the moment you walk away, um, abuse you physically, mentally. Uh, they control a lot of... Um, economics around you and the more you you stay on their plantation the more economics they control and more power they have so you know it depends on you really whether you want to keep giving them power or not uh but this article really talks uh, is beautiful in the sense that the uh that dr Faiz uh ahmed has done a good job in, in telling you what basically the all india muslim lobo does and how many groups and what groups basically exist that don't have representation and why do we need them in the first place um, so I hope you'll go and look it up there's plenty of, of uh, information on the net for the All India Muslim Law Board uh, another relic of a colonial empire along with the Christian denomination of churches and their fear-mongering Western and Islamic media but um, until and unless you don't have the knowledge about them, you cannot counter them. Uh, so I, I hope you do the research, you'll verify, you'll speak to your friends about it uh, and talk to um, talk to your elected representatives about it and talk on platforms about it uh, because these are the ones behind the fear-mongering. These are the people behind... Um, all the agitations that are taking place and they're the ones who are controlling our mind. We need freedom. We do not need these boards anymore. We do not need these churches. Uh, we need freedom. We need to be free. We need to um, heal and we need to reconcile with the land of our ancestors. Um, and that's basically how it's going to be going on from, uh, from the generations to come. Uh, so in the meanwhile, I want to say thank you very much for joining me today. I hope you had a great time, a great day, a great weekend. Um, knowledge is the best power, best healer. So don't forget to get as you know research and do uh, as much as work to gain this knowledge and you will heal. Thank you very much for your time. You have yourself a great day.